This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. In case you missed it, The Gray is the new film written and directed by Joe Carnahan, starring Liam Neeson as a man trapped in the Alaskan wilderness after a plane crash. He and his fellow survivors are struggling to get rescued and survive a pack of wolves that is hunting them. So it's pretty intense. Here's a clip. We shouldn't be worried about them right now. We should be worried about finding food. They're probably only passing through. Wait a minute. Passing through as opposed to what? Living here. Hunting here. Wolves have a territorial range of about 300 miles and a kill range of 30. If we're close to their den and if we're within that radius, then they'll come after us. How can we tell if we're close? I can't. To start off our discussion, I want to ask you a question. That I, that I think we could send us off into a couple different directions, but I want to get your thoughts. In the gray, in this world, in this universe that the gray is set in, does God exist? All right. Um, so the scene I keep thinking of is Dermot Mulroney. Um, they've linked this um, wire up across these two cliffs. They're each kind of sliding across, and... Uh, he falls, he crashes through several layers of a tree, lands flat on his back, um, and he sees his daughter, a vision of his daughter um, coming up and telling him that it's going to be okay, and she waves his hair in his face, just like he told the guys that she used to when she woke him up from like a nap or something, and then he dies. And... Yeah, I think that was some sort of vision or like a, some kind of like a comforting vision sent to him to kind of help ease his passing. I thought maybe that was like even just like a vision sent from God to say it's okay. But on the other hand, there's there's that other guy, uh, Burke, played by Nanzo Anozi, um, who at one point is delusional from the altitude and he's not doing very well. And he's talking in his sleep, and he keeps talking about Emma. Yeah, his sister. His sister, who apparently died. Yeah. So we don't know if he's having visions of her, if perhaps she is, if she, you know, if 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 there is an afterlife, if she's visiting him, calling him into the afterlife. You know, there's that possibility. So I think you're right that in scenes like that, we are given the impression that this is a universe in which. God exists, perhaps angels or spiritual beings of some sort can have an effect on mere mortals. Right, because in that scene, it's really left open as to whether, like, is Burke... You're not really sure if Burke is, uh, like, he's kind of... They get the impression that he's kind of slowly dying from uh, the oxygen and unable to being, being unable to adjust to the altitude. And uh, you're not sure if he's, like, starting to cross the line and go, like, up towards heaven... Or something like that, like he's teetering right on the edge between the two. 
but I, I, I do think the film purposely makes it kind of ambiguous, like you're supposed to decide for yourself. Well, it starts off and it seems like it's it's it has this idea that yes, there is a god. Yes, they were trapped in this wilderness for a reason. I mean, someone brings up the fact that you know we survived the crash. No one should have survived that crash, but we did. We had to have survived for for something. Well, let me ask you this: in the beginning, during the the voiceover we mentioned in part one, um, you know, Liam Neeson says something like, "You know, we all deserve to be here. We're all bad men." Do you think? that surviving the plane crash, given what we know happens to, to nearly all of them, was it a punishment to survive the plane crash and live with the slow dread of knowing you're being hunted and eaten alive by these wolves? You know, is it almost in a way more merciful to have gone out in the plane crash? So, you, so you're saying this is almost, you could interpret it almost as... A punishment. Divine judgment. Yeah, yeah as a punishment. I mean, if you believe in that kind of God, that's an interesting interpretation. You know, the, the, the film definitely for a while does imply that there could be some sort of metaphysical, spiritual thing going on here. But then in the last act of the movie, Liam Neeson's left all alone and you see him calling out to God, you know, show me something, show me you're out there, give me some sort of sign, and he gets nothing. Well... It depends if you, I mean, there was no big flash of light. There was no deep booming, like, I think if you were going to do God's voice, you would do James Earl Jones voice, like coming out of the sky. Right. But um, right after that, we see Liam Neeson wander into the woods. And then you realize that he, by incredible coincidence, having tried to get as far away from the wolves as possible, has actually wandered right into the dead center of their den. The place that they were trying to get away from. So does that mean that God does exist and God is just punishing him and God has just sent them, him right into the heart? I don't know. Because of the ending, you don't know. Well, well, that's the thing. And, you know, it, it was really difficult to me to try to figure out what this movie was trying to say, especially because from the very beginning, we know that uh, Liam Neeson's character, Otway, yeah, Otway, has lost someone. His wife is gone. He's dealing with the grief. And... I was sitting there and I was thinking to myself, okay, so this whole thing about being lost in the wilderness, feeling like you're being, you're being hunted and you're being attacked, this is really just a giant allegory for coming to grips with loss and heartache. And I mean, at the beginning of the movie, he wants to kill himself. So I was sitting there and I was thinking, okay, this is an interesting idea. And I guess at the end of the film, he's going to come to grips with the loss of his wife, uh, who we later find out actually died. Uh, we, you know, I, th I was thinking, okay, he's going to come to grips with that. He's going to be able to set aside this suicide note. He's going to kill all these wolves, and that's going to be symbolic of him conquering this inner obstacle, conquering this conflict and this struggle and, and moving on. And that's not how the movie ends. And I wasn't quite sure what to do with how the movie ends. Uh, because the movie ends with him, like, as you mentioned, wandering into the wolf's den and facing down the alpha male and then cut to black before we can see whether or not he, he lives or dies. And I was just left kind of thinking, okay, so is the message of the movie that, you know, if you're depressed and life is tough and you're going through all these hard times don't give up and kill yourself, you're still going to die, but at least put up a fight. 
there's nothing you can do to, to get over it. Eventually, they will track you down. You you will ultimately succumb to nature and succumb to these forces against you. You know, I don't know. I I mean, to me, you know, I I keep going back to that poem, and like I said before, I'm not really sure that I understand it in the way it's meant to be interpreted. Is the message really is that life is? I mean, life is a fight. You, you struggle, and you have to. Like he he wanted to throw in the towel, and what he essentially he's then for, put into a situation where he is forced to battle in order to survive. And is it saying that life is is a struggle, and that life is a fight? And you you just you keep going, you keep fighting. I mean, it's a little inspiring in the sense that don't give up, don't surrender. I mean, I I, I want to ask you, like, do you feel like at the end of the film, Otway is a significantly different character than he was at the beginning of the movie? My first impulse is to say no, but then you have to you have to also consider that this is a guy who like you said, wanted to kill himself at the beginning of the movie. And then at the very end, he's the he's a guy who straps on little, uh, some of those little bottles they hand out on airplanes full of booze to his hands just so he can make a makeshift claw and fight this alpha. And so it's it's difficult to believe. I mean, you can argue that when the plane first crashed, he's fighting to survive just to help the other guys survive. Right, because he, he he they they established pretty quickly that out of all of them, he's the guy who knows the most about the wilderness, surviving in the wilderness, who knows the most about survival. But once those guys are gone, I think you have to take into account that the only reason he has to keep fighting to stay alive is because arguably he wants to stay alive. He wants to keep fighting. I mean, maybe it's not about him changing. Maybe it's about him learning that he does in fact want to be alive, despite the crappiness of his life at the moment that's an interesting an interesting thought so so you're saying that the reason the film cuts to black right there and we don't we don't see whether or not he defeats the wolf is because ultimately it doesn't matter whether or not he wins what matters is that he has the will to live yeah i think it's it's just that it doesn't matter what the outcome of the fight is i mean maybe it's it's both half of both of what we're saying is that you know everybody eventually dies but it's and it's going to happen one way or the other but um the most important thing was getting him to this point where he wanted to fight tooth and nail for his life, that he's willing to put up a struggle and not just throw in the towel. Okay. I can, I can, I can see that. So you're saying that most of the film, he's really only fighting to survive as a means of helping the others. Yeah. And that's why once it's finally just down to him and everyone else is dead, he kind of snaps and starts yelling at God and is kind of caught up in despair again. Yeah, that's my thought. I mean, I just I think there has to be some kind of explanation for why a guy who is suicidal literally the night before they get in the plane is suddenly so gung-ho about we got to do this to survive, we got to do that to survive. And the only way that makes sense to me is if he's doing it for the others. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because if if you recall, he's sitting there out in the snow at the beginning of the film. He's about to put a bullet, bullet in his brain, about to end it all, and then he hears the howl of a wolf. Yeah. And that sort of snaps him out of it. So what you're essentially saying is that you're you're kind of arguing that the wolves are almost like – a symbol of hope. They're a symbol of that will to survive and that will to fight. And he hears that that howl, and that's the glimmer of hope he that he hangs on to and doesn't pull the trigger. 
I don't know if you could say they're a symbol of hope just because that they literally or, or, or a symbol of just of just survival. Yeah, I mean, I would argue that I mean, if anything, they just personify, I guess, the challenges in life, right? You know, the obstacles, and I mean, maybe he just on a deep, deep level is just not the kind of guy who can. He's a fighter. I mean, maybe he's just not the kind of guy who, who can, who doesn't want to lose, who doesn't want to lose out to these challenges. Well, see, I think there is, there's, the, I think there is something going on there, though, with the wolves. Yeah, and there's a specific reason the wolf is what snaps him out of it because later on he's talking to one of his fellow survivors who says that you know one of our uh, our friends just decided to give up and basically kill himself and he tells Otway you know I saw that look on your face that night um and I you know when I I've, I've seen that look on people's faces and that's it's always when they're about to kill himself to to kill themselves um but because of that because he heard the howl of the wolf he didn't um, and so it's kind of interesting that at the end of the film, he's back in that – he's actually in the wolves' den, and that is sort of what symbolizes his his will to go on yeah. and his will to, to fight. Yeah. I, I think it's – I also think it's interesting thinking about this film in regards to Liam Neeson himself because this is a guy who tragically and unfortunately – lost his wife, uh, Natasha Richardson, three years ago. And ever since then, he's been in several films in which he plays someone whose loved ones are either dead or being taken from him. Um, And so he he frequently seems to be returning to these roles in which people are struggling to come to grips with mortality – and just accept it and kind of just work through it. Yeah. And so do you think there needs to be – do you think we need to know at the end of the film whether or not he kills that wolf? Do you think that's important? I don't know. I'm trying to, to separate need to know from would have liked to see. Part of me does think if we did see him defeat the alpha male, which is somewhat implied by a scene that occurs after the credits. Yeah. Part of me feels like if we had seen that, that would have been a more clear indication of what Carnahan was trying to say about tough things happen in life, but you have to fight off the obstacles and move on. On the other hand, maybe the point of the film is just that, you know what, sometimes stuff happens and you just got to fight. No matter the outcome, you just got to keep going. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, if we look at it from that interpretation, then maybe going to black was the right ending. Because let's look at it this way. If, if he did win, then we can pretty much plot out the rest of the movie, which is we know that he got the signal watch, right? He had the signal watch, which I re- honestly thought was going to come into bigger play towards the end. So he, he probably got rescued. But then again, you could almost look at, at the, you know, just the alpha wolf lying bleeding on the ground. You know, he either killed Liam Neeson, but got pretty badly eaten, beaten himself doing it. Um, and is just licking his wounds. But then again, there's no, you know, we don't, we don't know. There's no Otway carcass that he's not, that he's chewing on, you know. You don't know. And the final shot we see before it cuts to black, Liam Neeson's eyes, yeah, and just him looking fiercely at this alpha male wolf, almost as if Carnahan is trying to say, okay, this is the closing image I want to leave you with is just this guy ready to fight, yeah, not ready to give up anymore ready to, to 
take it all on himself and and try to survive. So maybe that is the point. Maybe it doesn't matter whether or not he wins or loses. Yeah. And you, you brought up the the thing with the watch. I think that's an that's an, another sign that you could argue perhaps that this this is a godless world, the world of the gray. Even though you know there are indications that these characters do perhaps see angels or have visions of something as they before they before they die you know Liam Neeson calls out to god nothing happens they have this device that is supposedly be able to pick up signals from what is it up to 40,000 feet nothing happens. you know if there's anything out there in the sky we'll be able to pick it up but there's nothing and then you know the, then that final scene Liam Neeson calls out to god gets no answer and basically like okay I'll do it myself yeah so maybe the point of the film is, you know what? Life is hard. People die. Sometimes you go through tough times, and you can't always count on God to be there, so you just got to deal with it and fight to survive on your own. Yeah. You know, the fact that he's carrying all these wallets of these dead people around, is that a sign that he is, in this case, literally carrying this baggage of dead loved ones around with him? Um, it's an interesting way to look at it because he is carrying around like their last remnants. Um, you know, the, there's that scene where he's he's in the den and it's before all the wolves come home, so to speak. And uh, the last thing he does before he decides to pick up the bottles and fight, yeah, is look through the wallets and he's seeing, I think, you know, a picture of. of uh, it struck me that they were all with their kids. He'd pull out pictures and they all had kids and like a family to go back to. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what we're supposed to take away from that. Yeah, it's, you know, it's almost like now that I'm thinking about it, you, you can almost interpret it as him realizing, okay, you know what? If I'm going to survive this, I could probably die right now. And you know what? I can't take this stuff with me. Yeah. I don't want to have this baggage with me in my final moments, yeah. in this final fight. So he he looks through all of the photos almost as if he's trying to say, okay, I'm probably not going to get back to civilization. I'm probably not going to be rescued. I'm probably not going to be able to give these to their families. But at the very least, I'm here. I can acknowledge these people. I can acknowledge their lives. I can acknowledge their loved ones and take that with me into the future, whatever the future holds, so to speak. Yeah. Um, And then that last thing he does is he takes his own suicide letter to his dead wife and tucks that into one of the wallets and it's kind of like, all right, got to move on and fight now. So you could interpret that as a, he's, he's literally letting go of all the death he's seen in the past few weeks, mm-hmm. the, his own loss, the loss of everyone around him. He's just kind of like, all right, I want, I got to fight. And in order to really, if I want to live another day, I just, I got to move on from this stuff. Yeah. So you could, you could, you could, argue that the gray is actually a really inspiring film about coping with grief and how we need to put it aside and fight day to day to overcome it you could you could um <laughs> i didn't feel that way when the movie no ended. i didn't either which is why i still i'm still not 100 percent convinced that it's anything other than a mediocre winter movie well right and you know i feel like you know if if this is some of the stuff that carnahan was trying to say i admire the fact that the film is inspiring this sort of conversation and getting us to talk about these issues. But on the other hand, part of me is kind of like, well, you you needed to make it a bit clearer yeah. what you were trying to say. Just because there were moments in the movie where I kind of felt like it, the movie didn't know what it was trying to say. At one point it was like, there is no God. 
And then the next moment it would be like, well, yeah, there is kind of. This is all here for a reason. And again, you could argue, oh, well, the fact that he ultimately does wind up in the wolf's den, he ultimately does come to lay down the the baggage of the of the dead, and get he he kind of gets his will to fight and to survive back. Is that a sign that there is a God and that God really did lead this all, let this all happen as a means of him coming to grips with with the death of his wife and that he would get over it? Who knows? Uh, you know, I don't know. And the and the other thing is, if the film doesn't have a clear answer one way or the other, is that a bad thing? Because there isn't really a clear answer in life. <laughs> no, I I think they were purposely trying to be ambiguous. I think they're trying to be honest. I mean, I think even if you look at real life, for every sign that there is a God, there's another sign that you could argue means there's not a God. So the question is, is it being intentionally ambiguous in order to make a point, or is it just kind of shoddy filmmaking that leaves us wondering what they were going for? I think it's probably intentional. Um, I think it might be a little bit of both. Yeah, I could see that. I think that with a project like that, you have so many demands on it, which is, you know, you also are trying to make a compelling horror slash survival movie at the same time. Right. And so you're trying to meet the demands of that genre. And can we can we talk about that and that genre? Talk about the advertising. I just have to say, I don't watch a lot of trailers, Frank. Every once in a while I have to because I'll be sitting in front of a movie. You know, that image of Liam Neeson with the broken mini bottle strapped to his hand, ready to kick ass, that image is what made me want to see the film. And I think it's why a lot of people are going to see this movie because it's kind of like, all right, Liam Neeson is trapped in the wilderness and he's going to kick ass and fight wolves with his bare hands. He's gonna... I mean, there are moments in the film when he does punch several wolves in the face, which is pretty cool. But the problem is... That shot from the trailer, that's the that's the last scene of the movie. Not even the last scene. That's that's like the second or third to last shot of the entire film, and we don't see the ultimate outcome of that fight. So it really, you know, you don't see the outcome of the fight in the trailer, and you don't see the outcome of the fight in the actual film. And that really annoys me. It really annoys me when scenes from the last five to ten minutes of a movie, or in this case, the last 30 seconds of a movie are shown in the trailer because in the back of my mind, because I had seen that trailer, I spent a lot of the film thinking, all right, when's Liam Neeson going to break off those mini bottles? Come on. I've been waiting. I want to see him take on this wolf with his bare hands. And then it got to the, finally got to that scene and the movie ended. And I was kind of like, oh, well, I'm really disappointed now. So I'm, I, part of me is wondering if I hadn't seen the trailer, would I have liked the ending more? And would I have been more accepting of it? Or is the fact that I was really expecting to see him fight that wolf with his bare hands, is that kind of what made the ending feel sour to me? I think that's a great question. Um, I mean, you can't argue that the trailer ruined, like, the ending, for, like, gave away the ending because you you would have had no idea that that was Right. I do think it probably set up, set up, sets up certain expectations, like that you're about to see, like, an epic brawl go down. In reality, that's pretty much the most you get, anticipation. You know, if we hadn't seen the ending, would you and I be sitting here saying, you know, that was a really unique ending, that was really smart, if we both hadn't been um, anticipating, like, an epic brawl? And uh, I don't know. I, I think it's t tough to say. I do think it raised certain expectations. So I do think some. I think I do think there's probably definitely an element of 
disappointment there brought on by the trailer because it just it it set up you thought it was going to go one way and it zigged another way and sometimes that's fun when a movie does that and you applaud it for it but here i just think the marketing probably set up a false impression yeah this is why this is why i don't watch trailers i'm tired i'm tired of the advertising ruining stuff for me or giving me wrong expectations i would rather just go in blind and be pleasantly surprised but um Okay, and, and I guess we, we should probably wrap it up. Uh, I guess the last thing I want to ask is, favorite death scene? Good question. Because um, there were some pretty good ones in the movie. There were some pretty good ones. I'm, I'm replaying them all right now in my head. Um, I have to say, the one, uh, the, the scene in which they have to cross that uh, canyon to get to the trees yeah. is in. Tense. I mean, they have to leap off this cliff to get to the other side, uh, tie up the rope, and then kind of shimmy across. And that death scene hurt. Yeah, I would agree with you that that was the most brutal. Um, what kind of ruined it for me is when the glasses slipped off of his face and he reached for the glasses. I thought that was incredibly cliche. Yeah, it was kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you that dumb? Like, you're already afraid of heights and you're going to reach out for your glasses? I'm sure part of it's just like instinctual, like you don't even think about it. But see, if, but he said he, he's afraid of heights, and I feel like if you're afraid of heights, you're clinging to that rope for cl- your life. Yes, you're. It doesn't matter what happens. Yeah, you are clinging to that rope, and you're not letting go. You know, uh, doesn't matter what flies off his face. You just feel bad for him, though, because I mean, if he'd just been wearing like a different pair of pants with a zipper that didn't get snagged to the the rope, right, it'd be a non-issue. And it just looked like such a painful way to die. And then to have wolves eat you as you're dying i don't know you just felt bad for him right and there were there were several scenes in which you know there would they'd be walking through the snow and one person would get a little bit too far behind and then you'd see the wolves coming to just take him out and that was that was always i think really intense yeah i mean and it made sense too with what you read on wikipedia about wolf behavior right <laughs> um i mean i think I, th- I feel like when you're doing these man versus nature movies it's easy to think oh, whatever it's just he's, nature he's liam neeson it's a it's a, just a big dog he can fight that thing that's not too bad but then when you actually see you know this small group of humans trapped in the wilderness and then you see four or five wolves coming at them from multiple sides it's you realize, yeah you realize how incredibly insignificant they are yeah, kind of I mean, in that I, moment. I will say that they did a great job making the wolves just this force of nature, just like this uh, almost terrifying elemental primal, like just death coming at you. And, um, you know, you, you, you just because they were so good about you, they would just come out of nowhere. They're like, they're like Animal Kingdom version of Anton Sugar from No Country for Old Men. Yeah. Death is coming and you just can't stop it. No. And the other thing I want to ask you is how did you feel about the death of uh, Diaz, played by Frank Grillo, ultimately just deciding to give up because he's hurt his knee and he just kind of wants to enjoy the view in his final moments? Oh, I think that that's, again, they're kind of juxtaposing it with the growth we talked about for Liam Neeson's character where, you know, he ultimately reaches the point where he's like, I have to fight. I have to fight. I think that was kind of like the counterpoint to it where you've got a guy very much who's like who essentially his journey was the opposite of Liam Neeson's. He started out as this very big, brash, I'm not afraid of anybody. I'll fight anybody. You know, I'm not afraid of anything um, where he was, you know, this ultimate tough guy kind of. And then he kind of 
gets to the point where he's like, you know what? I don't have to fight. I don't have to posture. I'm just going to sit here and let whatever happens, happens. I'm, I'm essentially, I'm just going to sit here and wait for death. Well, it's interesting because the film almost does seem to view that as a positive thing. Yeah, I, you weren't sure what you were supposed to think about that. Why are we viewing Diaz's decision to just give up as a good thing? Is it because he's in the middle of nature and he's viewing... A beautiful stream. Right. Is it because he's at peace with himself and so that's why it's okay? He's not making the decision to give up out of despair, but just kind of out of necessity. Just kind of like, well... I can't go on anymore because of my knee. Yeah. So might as you know, might as well enjoy it. I wasn't really sure what to make of that. Neither, neither am I. I honestly don't know. Like, there's no simple answer to it, and maybe that's maybe that's okay. I, I don't know. Yeah. But if there's some um, incongruity. I can't say the word. It's weird. <laughs> incongruity there. Yeah. Okay. Well, do you have anything else you want to say? I don't think so. Okay. Well, we've had a pretty good discussion. I think that will wrap it up for our discussion of The Grey. Don't forget to tune in next week when we will be discussing Chronicle. Uh, we'd love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at www.filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes. So if you like this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us out and uh, it would help get the word out about the show. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate it. That helps keep us uh, up and running so we can keep uh, producing new content for you every week. Frank, where can people find you online? You can find me on FJ Ready on Twitter and, quite frankly, television.wordpress.com. I'm Andrew Johnson. You can find some of my writing at www.thekuleshoveffect.com. That's K-U-L-E-S-H-O-V effect.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back so we can keep talking about the gray, and you can let us know what you thought about the film and what it was trying to say. All right, I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Frank Reddy. And have fun this week getting high on cinema. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!